0: Hello, and welcome to Live Well with Jacqueline, the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here today. And today is a very special episode, and I'm really excited about the wonderful guest I have on. This person and I have gotten connected Outside of Instagram, which for me sometimes is rare these days, I think I find most of my friends mm-hmm. on the gram. Um, but this lovely human I actually got to meet in real life, and we actually stayed in touch by Instagram, and our internet relationship has deepened because I shared my personal story of explant, and this woman has a diagnosis of her own that I'm going to let her talk about and share today. So being able to chat boobies um, is something that we have bonded over this past year, and um, that's why we're actually here to share with you today, because if you can't find somebody to talk to, uh, I want you to know that not only myself, but my guests are both a safe space for you. So, without further ado, I would like to introduce my friend, Stephanie Taylor. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm Uh, so glad you're here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you and I met, actually?
1: Sure. Um, So, I am um, an accountant who works for private schools in the Boston area. I grew up in Vermont. And my sister and I both live in the area and she actually connected me to Jacqueline through their beauty counter business and, um, so I started following Jacqueline and then sort of got, you know, into her explant journey, uh, right before my breast cancer diagnosis in September. And, um, I felt like it was one of the first safe spaces that I had to go to, to, to talk about this. Um, just because like people are weird talking about boobs and um, you know, it's like a lot of faux pas around it. And so this was like a really safe space. And I think also um, when we start talking about like risk factor and things, like i would sort of like connected with Jacqueline um, because I have similar fitness interests, similar diet interests, um, similar like other like lifestyle choices I've made that are, you know, I connected with her on that. And you know, here I am, even after all of those things with a diagnosis. And so it was just a really safe space for me to kind of say what the fuck and <laughs> another place to say that. Um, anyway, so that that's where we are. And so I was uh, diagnosed on September fourteenth. I found a lump uh, on my own in July. And um, I, I literally was like putting my kids to bed and like grabbed a sip of water, scratched a random itch on my breast and thought, what the heck is that? And know did like a full exam and I'm pretty I'd been pretty good about doing my own self exams um, because of family history and had been really on top of that Um, but you know 10 years ago I'd felt a lump and went into the doctor and they said by the time we got to imaging it was probably just a cyst it was gone and so they said you know if this ever happens again and you feel something wait a cycle see if it changes and then call so That's essentially what I did but I am very busy in the summer and had felt this lump in July and at some point in August I was like oh shoot has it been a month and I you know felt again and it was still there so I called and they saw me the next day and shortly thereafter I was having a mammogram and then the same day I had the mammogram they immediately moved me into another room and did a biopsy 10 minutes later and I had a diagnosis in a few days so, I want to um, actually
0: pause you right there for a yeah. second because I think that this is actually really important. Um, can you share with the people how old you are?
1: I'm thir- I was 39 when I was diagnosed. I'm 40 okay. now, but I was 39. And can
0: we can we talk about actually why 39 was important for us to acknowledge? Absolutely. Okay. So and that I plus will... your family history, please. Yeah.
1: So, I'll um just like backing up to um, 2020, I had uh, my physicals usually in the spring and so the spring of 2020, my physical was like a telehealth appointment on Zoom and the physical that I'd had in the spring of 2019, I was still breastfeeding and so I hadn't like had a proper breast exam in two years and so I went in the spring of 2021 and wanted to have a, an appointment in the office to have a breast exam. Um, because I have a family history, my aunt was diagnosed at 44. And my grandmother had had um, postmenopausal breast cancer when she was 67. Um, So at that point, I just wanted to stay on top of my like, just annual exams. And so having not had a really great breast exam in a couple of years, I went in the spring of 2021, a couple of weeks after a cousin on my dad's side was diagnosed at her 40 year old mammogram. And so at that point, I was 38. And I said, you know, I'd really like to not get to my 40 year old mammogram and have breast cancer. I would like to start mammograms earlier if I could. And they said,
0: you were well, thinking this and then you asked for this. Oh, I,
1: I asked in the Yes, I, I asked in my physical, you know, this happened to my cousin, the type that she had was not palpable, like you couldn't feel it on a physical exam. It's what was is called in situ, which means that the tumors grow within your breast ducts and you can't feel them because they're not large enough to be outside of the ducts. And so she had several tumors inside the ducts that you just couldn't feel. Um, And so regular breast exam in the office didn't do anything for her and her own self-exam didn't catch it. In fact, the oncologist never felt them himself either. Um, So she walked into her 40 year old mammogram thinking like she's just doing a screening and walked out with like, you know, needing a biopsy. Um, And actually she needed several biopsies because there were several tumors. Um, So at that point I was like, I'd like to start before 40 please. And um, you know, my doctor, she wasn't acting outside of what the guidance is. I mean, the American Cancer Society says that there's, you know, very little risk factor before 40. And that starting at 40 catches most breast cancers. Unfortunately for her and I, that wasn't the case for us. Most isn't all.
0: Most most isn't isn't all. all.
1: Isn't all. Absolutely. And in her case, she felt so failed by that because, you know, even a breast exam in the office didn't catch hers. And so, um, you know, I think at that point, if I had gone, it's possible that something would have started, but we don't know that. Right. So they said you know your risk factor isn't any greater and so i think it's fine to wait until 40 um, so that was april 29th of 2021 and i felt the lump on july 11th of 2022 so like 14 months later um, so that made me very angry um right so. but i but but i i don't think it's anyone's fault it's just you know most isn't all Um, But I work in an area where we deal with materiality every day, right? Like I'm an accountant and we measure things on whether or not it's material or not. And they think that's medicine too, to an extent. And so I get that, but it's still frustrating. Um, One of the other things that I thought was really interesting about family history in like in that experience, when I got to see my oncologist was all of your family history with breast cancer—they really emphasize the your maternal history, correct. But according to my oncologist, it doesn't matter. It could be maternal or paternal. You get twenty-three chromosomes from each, right? Um, and so it it does, both sides of the history does matter.
0: Thank you for um, so, sharing that, especially because you know I, I wonder. This is from your oncologist, but do yes. all, you know, medical doctors know that that is the general lies kind of I would
1: say no. I mean, approach they, because because you yeah. can go in
0: saying that your dad's, you know, this, this is a cousin on your dad's side. They're like, well, it's not on your mom's side. So we're not going to do this. Right. Correct. I mean, like, I'm wondering if that was part and parcel for like what happened possibly with that as well. Totally. Um. Hmm. um
1: okay.
0: So thank you for sharing that information. I don't know if a lot of our listeners would know that. So thank you. No problem. Um, okay. So I, you were talking about family history and then you're talking about, yeah. so this is when you were pissed and you're just like, what the fuck? And you decided, you know what we got to do. And we, we talked about this prior. Cause Stephanie's like, "Um, can I swear? I'm like, oh, please. I'm like, have we, <laughs> Like you see my yeah. Instagram, you've listened to my bad when we have a swear that mean that is meaningful, we absolutely use it. Um, but I think we can say, what the fuck when we're talking about personal health advocacy? So one of the things that I'm always sharing with on my own Instagram is you have to be your own health advocate. Back when I was practicing chiropractic and I would have patients come in, they would talk to me about their health concerns it wasn't just hey doc how's my spine they were talking to me about all kinds of different things and my next was treating pregnant and postpartum women Mm -hmm. and these women would come in with these horror stories about experiences with some doctors in the medical field and my standard line was the following you get to hire and you get to fire your own Mm -hmm. personal health care team Just because you pick somebody out of your network that's in your coverage zone doesn't mean you have to stay with them. From a
1: profile up up on a website.
0: Yeah, (laughs) or look them up on the website. Oh, they take my interest. No, we need to find somebody who's on your philosophy. And if they aren't or if they're not going to listen to you or if they're going to poo-poo your thoughts or feelings or ideas of what's going on in your body that you live in. Goodbye, see you later. Let me interview the next. Because if you're not feeling heard, I I really feel like that's you know where you stepped it up for yourself and you're like, um, nope, with us,
1: yeah. And I would say that, like, you know, in a twist of fate, um, I ended up the primary care doctor that I had in April of 2021 is actually not the primary care that I had when I was diagnosed, she left the system. And I'd been with her for almost 20 years and went to, um, another job. And so I changed primary care doctors and I landed with someone who one was a young mother like myself. And also, um, my, so my kids were three and six when I was diagnosed. And at the time, my new primary care was pregnant with her second. She also, um, shared with me that her mother was navigating breast cancer at the same time. And so I ended up with someone who heard me when I started expressing these frustrations. And I said, I I really want to reach out to this other doctor. I really think she needs to hear that this happened because will it maybe make her think twice when someone says I'd like a screening right like mental health care is health care too right like you Absolutely. know even if we it's not every yeah like if it's not every year that you're doing it but like okay at 38 years old maybe let's with someone's anxiety about this and family history like get, get a baseline right like find a reason even do an ultrasound if you don't want to subject them to radiation from a mammogram like there's just like like, let's think outside the box in terms of, like, what's the right care for this person? Um, you know, I just, you know, landed with a new primary care who I said, like, you know, most most people is not everyone, right? Like, catching most breast cancer is not every cancer. You know, I have young kids. Like, my kids deserve for my diagnosis to have been found as quickly as possible because, The sooner you find it, the easier it is to treat and the more likely you'll never see it again. And like every month counts when it comes to that, you know, like if I had waited until I was 40, if, you know, if it was like my cousins, like, where would I be? Right. And so like, she felt like, yeah, reaching out to that other doctor is an appropriate thing to do in this case. Um, And And so like, she's been a great, I'm actually not sure if she's done it yet because She literally went out on maternity leave as this was happening. And so I'm not sure if she got that like communication in before she went out, but it is a thing that we will be doing. Um, And I don't think she would together. Yeah. And so, um, so that's, you know, and so I think that that, even if it helps one other person get screened when they want to get screened, I feel like we need to do that, especially because this doctor moved into another hospital system in a position of leadership and so Mm. like that and from a clinical perspective like with teaching other physicians and advising other physicians like to have that piece of history of one of your patients
0: is so important so um well that does come back to the advocacy and sharing the experience that you had because unless it is reef um Uh, retold back to her in a safe space so you and your doctor together, you know, in a meeting setting where it's comfortable so you can feel like you also have the support from your current primary, you know, this other doctor might not know that that's what happened, right? Just because of how things shook out. So um, we can't, you know, I know there's so many feelings that I know you've worked through and processed on this. And I think, like you said, if one more person can just feel either seen or heard during this or feel like they can advocate for themselves during that time or know that, oh, I'm not feeling seen or heard. And so then, therefore, I can go look for another primary. You're you're luckily landed in your lap. And like you said, that beautiful twist of fate. Yeah. Um, that's why you and I both decided to share our own personal stories, because there might be somebody who, of course, there's people out there hiding, scouring the internet, looking for help, looking for support. And oh, are you there? Edit oh. that out. Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> um, I
1: would also oh, say, um, but, uh, I would also say in terms of like the, the, um, Level of like advocacy for myself, like some of what like brings you to advocacy is you have to like prepare yourself for um, like or educate yourself around your body. And I think that I started that journey, I don't know, almost 15 years ago. My dad's mother died of complications from type 2 diabetes, and it forced me to sort of evaluate like did I know what I was doing in terms of feeding my body and exercise and so I got a nutritionist and I started exercising more and I you know read books about I read that book it starts with food just like understanding our food system and like you know what is important to put in your body to fuel it and to take care of it and uh, like my, my personal trainer who I've been working with um I was working with him for a year before this even started. You know, He says like, you're so much more educated in um, what you're putting into your body than a lot of people are. And like, that's why like, one of those like WTF moments where I was like, I like, you know, done all of the reading and done all of the work. And like, I was prepared to like advocate for myself and take care of myself. And yet still this happened, right?
0: It is. And I'm I'm glad that you touched on this education piece because I firmly believe, um, you know, obviously, I went to school for chiropractic. So this is part of my own education system. But there are so many people that, and I forget, who just don't have any of this knowledge ever given to them in any space. And right. so you then... When you go to your doctor, you're taking their word as gospel and you don't know any other option, or you also don't know how to support yourself. Now, the other part of that is when we're going to a doctor and you're already sick, you're already now in a sick care system versus being in a preventative health oriented holistic approach system, which is, you know, where chiropractic lands, right? We want to do the things that can keep us keep us healthy. And I love that you took it to a place where you're like, I want to read these books. I want to try to understand nutrition and fueling my body, how that can help me. And taking that knowledge a step further and saying, oh, I want to move in a way that's going to actually make me feel really strong and also like help my body be a stronger version of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about how you started evolving in that journey? Because I want to understand what the base of that was and how that has um, played a role during uh, when you got your diagnosis and then during all of your chemo and everything.
1: So both of my grandmothers died within a year of each other. And um, one of them, died from complications from type two diabetes, but then the other one actually, um, had lung cancer. And when she passed away, our family, so I had, I reached out to a nutritionist and I was working on nutrition related to like one family history. And then, um, my other grandmother, she was treated at the cancer center at Dartmouth college. And so my family was, um, running in like a 5k event that was a fundraiser for Norris cotton cancer. And I was like, Not really in the greatest of shape. Like I was in great shape, and then I met my husband, and you know the relationship behavior of like eating what they eat and hanging out with them more than going. Oh, the love job!
0: Oh, dude, I gained twenty. I gained twenty five pounds when I started dating Jonathan. I was like, oh, what chicken parm, chicken piccata, wine cannolis. Oh, let's go.
1: (laughs) Going out to eat all the time. Yes, and so. At a certain point, like I sort of snapped out of that and started, you know, back to, like riding the ship and my family was going to run in this event. And I was like, I'm in no shape to run and I'm not going to be the only one in the family not running in this event. So on top of like the nutrition stuff, I downloaded the couch to 5k app and started training that you did that good for you. And it just got me going. And we did that for a couple of years. And I had previously done like strength training um, in college and like before I met my husband. And so, um, you know, uh, one Friday night, my friend was over and we had like a flyer from like a fitness together that was like in the neighborhood. And we were like, we're gonna get fit. And I was running this event that I was training for and so I started strength training at the same time and it just sort of like went from there and it like really built a foundation for me um I started taking classes I started going to spin I was taking a TRX class I was going to Zumba like anything to move my body and really had this foundation and habit built so that when I got pregnant with my son um, I basically work, worked out up until like about 38 weeks and I switched it up eventually. Like I went to like water aerobics and but I basically in the same ways that I've carried through my fitness through chemo, I did that with my pregnancies. Like whatever I could do, I was doing it to just move. And then- Well,
0: and I love that. Let's Let's hang on to that for a second mm-hmm. because you know, on my Instagram, I always talk about, where's the pockets? How can we Hmm. pivot our workouts? How can we focus on movement for mental health? Or, Hey, I'm not doing a dumbbell or barbell today, but I'm going to do dumbbells instead. Or, you know what, my body just needs yoga, or I need to go out for a walk and get some sunshine in my eyeballs. We always talk about Hmm. where is the ability to be able to take care of yourself and, you know, paying attention to your energies. And so You did a really fabulous job saying, hey, like, just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean I can't do this, so I'm going to do this, but when my body changes enough, I also know it's okay for me to shift to do this and Mm -hmm. not feel badly about that because I used to be able to do blah. I think a lot of women get stuck in that space too and can look in rear views and instead say, hey, what can my body do right now and what feels good for it, right?
1: Mm. yeah and I think that that's like a really hard you know I'm an accountant right so like debits and credits everything balances everything equals zero for me getting out of that headspace where everything has to be like an intense workout or everything has to be heavy or fast um I forced myself out of that mentality that like just getting up and doing something is moving the ship forward. Like it's a lifelong endeavor, not, you know, a sprint to the finish line. And so it's taken me probably two pregnancies. Right. And I would say probably cancer to really sit with this being a lifestyle and, and, you know, I'm not perfect. Right. Like I, like anybody else, I could lose a few pounds. I could, you know, turn up the dial on the spin bike a little bit more, I could, you know, do five days instead of four a week, you know, there's plenty of things that like, I could change, but it's more like keeping that forward momentum,
0: progress, yeah, right? it's not perfection, it's progress, that forward yeah. momentum, and that consistency. And I think that's ultimately, um, you know, one of my favorite things to talk about with clients and followers but also I think where you and I've landed where we can appreciate each other so much and cuz you I had to also have those lived experiences where mm. I did crossfit and beat my adrenals to a pulp 6 days a week and felt I never still did enough and tried to go to doubles and <sighs> adding all yeah. that in, it was ridiculous yeah. and you know you have to if if you have the opportunity and that and when I say that I mean, either we're given something that makes us take pause or something happens that makes us take pause. And you step back and you can say, wow, it doesn't have to be like that because I actually need this body for the rest of my life. What's the best way for me to do this? Like you said, in that more balanced, approachable, sustainable way. Mm. And that still keeps you moving forward. And I think uh, having that mindset that you did, having gone through your two pregnancies, that that was almost a bridge that was built. So when you mm-hmm. did get your diagnosis of cancer, you were able to actually walk that bridge into that. I watched you. I remember you texting me and DM telling me your diagnosis. But then I also remember like watching you like, making like you were still lifting and like walking like the yes. next couple of days and I'm like holy shit yes. I'm like this is one badass bitch and I was like, like but like, you know what?
1: mental health man like the, like the, yeah the day Movement after my diagnosis, I got on my treadmill and I like sprint scream cried yes. on my
0: you know, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> and I, I still love you this, for so that I'm still Thank gonna you. do
1: it yes I
0: mean, but the thing is not just then, not just with the emotional release of the diagnosis, you, this entire time, have been doing movement. I've watched you lift. I've watched you walk. I've watched you you gone through chemo and said, hey, I don't feel that great, but I'm still going to, if I don't feel that great and I can't move, I'm still going to nourish my body with this kind of food or this is what I'm doing here. So you've always found a way to care for you. in terms of that kind of nourishment in both body, mind, and spirit. And that I think people underplay that all the time when you get a diagnosis like you got. Okay. Mm. And that mindset, um, you know, and I don't think she would mind me sharing this, but because your sister and I, Mm -hmm. when she reached out to me, you had told me and I didn't say anything, right? Mm -hmm. I still have like my chiropractic ride or die. I don't say (laughs) anything about anybody. And so your sister reaches out to me a couple of weeks later and tells me the news. And I said, thank you for sharing that with me. I will tell you that Stephanie did reach out to me. But then I remember Paige just saying, I've never seen somebody be so strong getting a diagnosis like this. I'm watching her and she's just blowing my Mm. mind. And we both had the same reaction. She's like, she's just being so like, like very, just not, not stoic, but it's just like the Oh, okay. This happened. This happened. Okay. But I'm still going to do this, 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 and this. And she's just doing it. So we were like, this is so cool. So where do you think like, besides your foundation that you built that that came from, where you just like did was some of that part, like anger, some of that part frustration, mm-hmm. some of that, like, I'm going to advocate, like, tell me some of the, I guess it's like this in, intense gumption that you had. You're just like, I'm doing this.
1: So I would say, where did that two, come from? There's two things that happened here that were like really, um, you know, drivers for me in that. And the first one is that, and I had this conversation with my cousin. So my cousin, who was diagnosed at forty, she ended up. We have the same oncologist at Dana Farber, and um, she and I would. She went to appointments with me. She took me to my first chemo. She took me to my first appointment with my oncologist. And she and I have handled it differently. Our diagnoses are very different. But what's interesting is she and I were having a conversation one day when we were sitting in the lobby, actually waiting for one of my appointments, and we had this conversation about like how we both handled it so differently. And I said, you know, she was so caught off guard by her diagnosis. And you know, from that moment I sat in my primary care's office saying, I want to be screened now. I can't explain it to you, but since my aunt was diagnosed and my grandmother was diagnosed and then my cousin, I honestly in my gut cannot explain. I always felt like for me, it was a when not an if this happened to me. And I don't know where that comes from, except that I had this gut feeling yeah. and that I had in my head, if this happens, this is my plan. And my, I have a research nurse cause I'm in a clinical trial and she jokes with me that I'm such a planner, but I had a plan. And when I was diagnosed, like I got the diagnosis at like 1130, By five o'clock, I had my referral into Dana-Farber. They called me by 10 o'clock the next morning. It was just like so rapid. It was like I had this plan. So I would say that was part of where it came from, was that I was like mentally prepared for it for some reason. And I would say the other part of it was um, COVID really changed or I it gave me the opportunity to become who I'd always wanted to be. I was at home, I was working from home, and it was like a reset on my life. And it was like, I had complete control of my day. I didn't have an hour commute each way. And I just thought, I have the time now to do all of the things I said I would do if I ever had the time to do them. And I had like put in place this like routine of fitness and healthy eating, and I was so consistent with it at that point because like Sophia, our youngest, was 15 months old when COVID happened. So I was still climbing out of that like baby, like on the upswing of like getting back into my like fitness habit. And I used the 18 months of like working at home during COVID to sort of like recreate that life for myself that I sort of had that nagging thing in the back of my head that said, those, these are the things I wish I had time to do. And I did them. And then, um, In the fall of 2021, I was um, approached for a job that was kind of like my dream job. It was like all of the things that I had like put in my experiences together to like take that next step in my career. And it like was, it came and was put on a silver platter for me. And I thought, I really want to do this. This is my opportunity, but I've created this amazing lifestyle for myself how do I continue with the things that I love doing and go back to like an in-person job with more responsibility? And like, how do I have all of the things? And I sat down and made a plan. I was getting up early. I was, you know, food prepping when I had to, I was, you know, doing all of the things to make sure that I still could do the things that made me happy, read more books and move my body more. And So I had that like momentum from that, that when this diagnosis happened, it was the same thought. Well, I'm not willing to give up those things I love again. Mm. So how do I make it happen for me in with this new challenge? And so I would say those are the two things that like just drove me through this. Like,
0: (laughs) that's incredible. I love that. You definitely are just this incredibly strong woman who says, all right. I'm going to be shown this and this is what I'm going to do about it. And I love how that that's just keeps continuously being built because you had this foundation that you created and you did it with, you did it with a set of some of the most basic things that I always say are simple, but not easy, Mm. right? It's the nutrition, it's the food. Simple, not easy. But guess what? During COVID, very easy to eat at home. No more dinners mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, just working
1: the system, right? Drink lots yes. of water, get lots of sleep, eat good food, move your body. Like those basics for me, like really carried me through all all of these things. Pregnancies, infant, cancer, new job, you know, and I'm finding no one sat me down and said these are the things that you've got to do. That's just sort of like the learning process that I've had over the years with things that I've read or people like you that I like, you know, I have this inkling and then you see someone else that says like, this is really working for me. And then you, you know, kind of incorporate those things into like what you try to find, you know, a system for yourself. Um, And then like seeing other people doing it and having success in those things sort of validates like, Okay, they're doing it and I'm doing it and it's feeling good and it's working and
0: um well and that's the cool thing about the internet and the Instagrams mm-hmm. is when you find the right people on there that resonate for you that are doing things in approach that's really balanced, that's mindful, that's not extreme. Mm. And you can talk about it, and they show that it's working. They have social proof. They have lived experience. Um, yeah, I think that is where you can say, oh, you know what? I trust this person. Mm. I'm going to try mm-hmm. this for myself. Oh, wow. It turns out I enjoy this, or I can tweak this a little bit, and it's actually working really well for me. So that's perfect. Um, so, I, you know, that's really fun to be able to continue to be connected, you and I both mm. that way. hmm Um, I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, your personal diagnosis and Mm -hmm. the treatment options that you were given and what you decided to go through.
1: So I think this is definitely something I knew nothing about when I was diagnosed, but there's, um, so there's different types of breast cancer. I have what's called invasive ductal carcinoma, which is about 80% of cases. It's the most common type and it's about like where your cancer starts. So it starts within the ducts, but it becomes invasive when it grows outside of the ducts. Um, There's other, my cousin I mentioned had what's called in situ, which means that it just grows within the ducts in like a string of tumors. And then there's like lobular and um, that's just like, it it grows in the lobes. And so invasive ductal carcinoma then has um, like what's called a subvariant. And so you can have Um, most people, so the majority of breast cancer is estrogen related or, or estrogen receptive, it's hormone related. Um, But there's estrogen and progesterone and what's called HER2 receptors in the cancer. And it's basically what the cancer uses to say, like, um, grow and divide. And in my case, uh, and then there's people who are triple negative, which means they don't have any of those. They're not estrogen, progesterone, or HER2 receptive. They don't know what drives the cancer, or you can be triple positive and you can be all three of those things. I actually am um, hormone negative. So estrogen, progesterone negative, and HER2 positive. And HER2 is... um, And so... Uh, Because some people usually have a combination of that um, to be strictly HER2 positive is only about 4% of cases, and it's actually more common in younger women. Um, And unfortunately, it's very aggressive, but fortunately, about 25 years ago, a cure was um, discovered or um, created called Herceptin, which is a monoclonal antibody. And um, prior to that, basically young women mostly um, were dying really quickly from um, what they didn't really know, like why it was, it was just a really rapidly dividing cancer and it spread and chemo might slow it down, but chemo didn't stop it. And eventually this amazing drug was discovered and it basically has become curable now. And so I actually received, you know, 12 weeks of chemo and every three weeks during that I received Herceptin and this drug called Progetta, which is another um, like sort of related antibody, um, that basically blocks the receptors of the cancer and stops it from growing and also trains your immune system to recognize it and, you know, shut it down if it were to ever pop up again. Um, and I went into my oncologist's appointment the first time and he said, if you're going to get breast cancer, like this is the kind to get, um, so... Okay. Uh, my di- my diagnosis, so we don't know. So I'm having my mastectomy tomorrow on Valentine's Day. Um, when I
0: had my- Did you initial- pick that? that well, how did that happen? No. I have to ask. Like, no, are they- you just like, this is a sign of all signs that yeah, it's going to be on Valentine's Day? Um,
1: you know, they, the surgeons, um, there's two surgeons, the um, the oncology breast surgeon and then the plastic surgeon. And they work together. And they, it's just like when they could. So it's, this is complicated, but I'm in a clinical trial. You have to have your surgery within a certain number of days after finishing chemo. Um, they needed, you know, this is like what fit in their schedule within that time frame. And I think they operate on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and so it just is the one of the Tuesdays that they're they have a operating room to do the surgery. Um, but you know what? When you're diagnosed. Um, and they do the ultrasound, they also do an ultrasound of your lymph nodes. And if any of your lymph nodes are enlarged, they'll do a biopsy of your lymph nodes. And so, um, you know, the, the lymph nodes, so lymph is like fluid that's in your breast and other parts of your body, but, and it drains through the lymph nodes. And so if um, the cancer that's invasive were to spread, it would spread through the lymph, which would pass through your nodes and into other parts of your body. And so when they biopsy the lymph node, they're checking to see if it's like basically left your breast. And my I had one lymph node that was slightly enlarged when they did my original biopsy, but the biopsy was negative. And then they did a second follow-up lymph node biopsy um, just to double check, and it was also negative. So as of right now, um, we're you know hopeful that when they do the surgery tomorrow, the full, they do a full dissection. So every woman has between one and three, what's called sentinel lymph nodes that your breast flu like lymph fluid drains through first. So during the surgery, they inject a blue dye and whatever nodes the dye goes to first, they remove those and they put them under a microscope in the operating room and they split them open and make sure that there's no cancer cells in them. And if they're not, If they're negative, then we know that it hasn't spread beyond my breast. If it's positive in any way, they'll remove more lymph nodes and biopsy those as well. Um, And then that could require more treatment. But you know, you get the first part of your like information at, at the point of diagnosis. So when they do your biopsy, they determine what your type is. Is it estrogen receptive? Is it HER2? Is it none of those things? And then what is your lymph node status? And then at surgery, they sort of confirm all those things again with like a full pathology on both the breast and the nodes. Um, So that's like the next step in that process tomorrow. Um, And so, you know, everyone's cancer is different I was stage two because of the size of my tumor. It was about the size of a quarter, um, two centimeters, but, um, you know, depending upon where it is and how large it is, you can sometimes choose a lumpectomy versus a unilateral mastectomy versus some people go for bilateral mastectomy. Um, I, I wasn't, a, because of the location of mine, wasn't a candidate for a lumpectomy, but I actually was not going to choose lumpectomy if it was an option um, from my own comfort level, um, but I actually read something about this in this um, book that I read called Breast and Owner's Manual, and it's written by a surgeon who said, like, most women make their surgical decision based on emotion and not about the science of it because there's like very little statistically different in the different surgical options um and it's really how people feel about their boobs and the Uh the experience um
0: this is something else you and I also connected over yeah yes Um, talking about boobs um so why don't you share with and I love that you're sharing that book and I just wrote that title down it's Um, great like honestly
1: every woman you know your breasts are organs every woman should read this like what's this is not the kind of thing you learn in health class like when you're in fourth and fifth grade and they have like your sexual health like lessons when you're way too young for that they don't talk about how to take care of your boobs like we this (laughs) I really probably should have known some of these things a long time ago
0: but yeah but you I always say this too like with flexible dieting you weren't taught how to build a balanced plate nobody taught you Right. now, How to build that plate in school. No. Yeah. No. Right? There's like we didn't also of get taught that... how to balance checkbooks. Like you're an accountant. You we did not. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We absolutely. probably wouldn't have debt problems like we do. So, okay. But going back to um, your treatment options of what you're, yeah. you're doing. So can you discuss um what kind of surgery that you're having tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And then, cause as we're going to be wrapping up this, portion of the podcast we're actually going to be coming back to meet with Stephanie post-surgery to talk about how she's recovering and what her um, status looks like and actually how her surgery is going as well because I love talking about recovery because it's different Mm -hmm. for everybody and that's the part that I feel is always missing from so many stories Um, like the real nitty-gritty behind the scenes Mm -hmm. stuff so going back to the question so, of dive in tomorrow about what your kind of surgery you're having tomorrow and how you came to that choice so, and so, then um, go from there. So
1: I, can, so I told, you know, I said, I, even if I was a candidate for a lumpectomy, I, I wanted a mastectomy for, um, so, I, and I chose a unilateral. So just, so my cancer was on the right side and I chose to just have the right side mastectomy, um, the differences in like outcomes in terms of like a recurrence or like another breast cancer on the other side is like a a percentage difference. And so there was no reason to lose the other breast. And so I chose to have a full right side of mastectomy um, because going into tomorrow, we don't, you know, there's still a small chance that like it could have spread to lymph nodes. Um, my plastic surgeon felt more comfortable waiting to do reconstruction um, until after this surgery because I am choosing to do what's called a deep flap reconstruction, which basically takes fatty tissue from your stomach and it, they remo- like disconnect that tissue from the blood vessels and reattach that tissue in your in your chest, like on your chest in your breast, um, to the blood vessels in your chest so that you can keep your own tissue instead of having an implant. And you, if there's a chance of having radiation, you really don't want to radiate this. Like a lot, some surgeons don't want to radiate this beautiful flap. They've just reconstructed, um, from your fatty tissue also, because like, I don't, probably have enough fatty tissue to like keep making boobs out of it like there's enough but you know probably not for a second round so what they'll do tomorrow is you know remove the breast in like one specimen and place what's called an expander and so basically it's like a partially inflated um implant and they will place an expander and i'm having um what's called skin-sparing mastectomy, I'm not able to keep my nipple because um, when, when I have my reconstruction, I'll also have a lift at the time. And because of my own anatomy, the nipple would not be in a normal place anymore. And so I will have a reconstructed nipple. Um, and so the, they will place the expander. And then after about two weeks post-op, they'll start to fill it a little bit at a time with more saline until I'm at a place where I'm like comfortable. And then, um, I'm probably going to have a reduction and a lift on the left side to match the reconstructed breast on the right. And that will happen in
0: October. I was going to say, when was that surgery going to be? So that's going to be October. So that's going to be about six months.
1: Yeah. They want to wait at least three. Yeah. They usually want to wait at least three, but that put me in the middle of the summer and I just didn't want to do that to my family. Like I want my kids to have a great summer and it's my busy time at work. And honestly, the other reason why is I really want to ride in the pan mass challenge with my oncologists like um, team this summer. And so if I had surgery in the summer, I wouldn't be able to do that. So I'm kind of really glad to, to do it in October. And also like, because I'm considering a reduction. I get to like kind of try on like another breast size before I commit to that surgery, um, with the expander. So, um, you know,
0: I'm, I'm, well, I think it's really great that you're advocating for yourself about that as well. So you're no, again, going back to that, you're not just saying, Oh, my doctor said we have to do this, 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 and this plan. You said, Hey, I don't think I want to have an implant. I'd like to try to work with my own natural breast tissue what are my options? Mm-hmm. Turns out you have one of the best surgeons in the country to do I your do. deep clap, which is incredible. And thank goodness, you know, we're very privileged to live where we do. Yes. Um, people drive all over. You know, I drove to New Hampshire to have my Explant surgeon, and people are like, You drove three hours. I'm like, Of course I did. Like, I will I only want to go see the person who's going to believe me. You well, you know the person, I mean? also the person who believes
1: you and also the person who does a lot of these, right? Like you don't, yes. you want someone who specializes in the thing you need.
0: Absolutely. And I think there's no harm in waiting for the recovery, right? Like it might feel like ages to you and you mm-hmm. don't know that until you get in there, but the time will go by. And I think it's really smart to be able to, Give your body that time to heal from the first surgery and mm. like you said, kind of test drive a new smaller booby and see how yeah, she and, feels and see if and that's I, what you want to commit to.
1: I also have to give up like lifting heavy um, for a while after the deep flap because. um yep you know, what my surgeon said is like, we're, we're creating a stomach problem to fix a boob problem. They don't remove any of the muscle, but they disturb the muscle in your abdomen when they, the way that the tissue is woven into where the blood vessels are, it, it disturbs the muscles and weakens them. And so your core is disturbed. And so I, um, you know, want to go into my reconstruction surgery as physically fit and recovered from chemo and healthy as I possibly can. So that like that surgery feels like, you know, to go from chemo to this surgery, to the, the reconstruction, I would really like to give my body <laughs> the time it needs to heal and rest. So that each of those steps along the way I have the best outcomes So, and mentally too, like it's exhaust, this whole process is exhausting. So, you know, I'm looking forward to like sort of a break between cancer and the cosmetic reconstruction on the other side.
0: I think that you giving yourself that space is going to really, like you said, allow for the healing that you need to have, both physically and mentally. Right. And because the mental it is. part a, too
1: is like you know, it's huge. Like, you know, like all the mental okay. the mental load of of just being working women too, like there's so much that goes into just like that regular part of our life to add this whole extra job to that is
0: job making decisions. The decision yeah. making alone is exhausting. You are making ultimately you're making it yourself. I know that you have guidance with the doctor. I know that you're talking to your partner. I know you're talking to your cousin. I know you're talking to your sister. I know you're doing the research online, but it can be a very lonely journey,
1: yeah. even though
0: you have people around you, right? Because yeah. it just can be. And I that... mean, you're
1: never alone, but you have to do the work yourself, you Bingo. know, like you have to do the hard yes. things yourself. Like I am surrounded by people, but I still have to do all the hard things by, by myself. And yeah. So, yeah.
0: Okay. So, I really feel that we were so comprehensive today in answering so many questions that I feel a lot of women who either have had this own experience and maybe didn't have the best experience or are getting a diagnosis and they have questions or have a family member or a loved one and I just feel again being able to just be available, to answer questions, to have a space where somebody can feel safe and feel heard um, is one of the best ways that we can continue to support women, not only for our own personal journeys, but for other women who might need help too. Because like I said, like you just said, it can feel lonely, even though you might not be alone. Because sometimes people, even though they're with you and love you and support you, they've not had the experience. So, Mm -hmm. Um are you open to having people reach out to you personally?
1: Absolutely. Um
0: Okay. I've, if people wanted to do that, where could they find you?
1: I think well how ha- so I mean I'm happy to have anyone, you know, you can tag me on Instagram when you um talk about this. I think that's probably the easiest way for people to reach out to me without giving out like my personal email. Um
0: I like uh, a DM on Instagram. Yeah, please.
1: absolutely. A DM it's on my Instagram would be fine. Yeah. Um, What's your handle? Uh, Stephanie Lee, L-E-I-G-H 83.
0: Okay, great. And I will make sure that people know how to find you as well. Yeah.
1: yeah. And okay. I would say that like, oh my gosh, there's still like so many layers and so many things to talk about. We didn't even talk about the cold cap. And, you know... I didn't talk about my oncology experience, and like, there's so many things. Like, if there's like something that like people like really like, you know, we didn't talk about that, like, would like to reach out to me and ask about, I'd be super happy to talk about the different books that I've read. I've been, you know, happy to talk about the cold cap experience. Like, I saved most of my hair. I have a full head of hair. No one would know um, that I that went was really chemo. cool when you
0: were sharing that. I don't know if people even know that that's an option or what that might feel like as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So like we, you know, and like, that's a new thing. So like, I'm happy to talk about that if somebody is like recently diagnosed and wrestling with whether or not they want to try that. Um, I'm so glad that I did. And, you know, I didn't know chemo any other way. So like adding the cold cap to it was just part of the experience, Um, you know, I would also say, like, one other, like, piece of advice that I would give to anyone who's going through this experience is, like, no matter where you're diagnosed, like, I was diagnosed through my primary care practice, like, through Beth Israel, but no matter where you're diagnosed, like, you have time to, like, take a pause for a day or two. And see what you have for resources around you for people who specialize in this. And, like, if you're in the Boston area and you're a young woman, like, there's literally specialists, like, at Dana-Farber who specialize in treating young women with breast cancer, like, under 40. Like, there are people who specialize – like, there's surgeons who specialize in – You know, surgery that's like related to metastases in like different parts of your body, like certain clinics offer cold capping and some don't. Like, you have time to take a pause and find the right fit for you. And like, you should totally do that because it makes all the difference. Like, my oncologist called me this morning and left me this wonderful message. Like, I'm just thinking about you and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. And I know everything's going to go great tomorrow. And so, Like, walking into tomorrow, like, having, like, my team have my back as, like, a human has honestly been, like, it's a huge part of, like, how confident you feel in this process. So I'm happy to, You just
0: said the magical word. You said feeling confident in this process. And not just the process, but confident... In what your experience is going to be as you move through this next phase of your journey. Because you've done the work to build the healthcare team around you. You've done the work to take care of your body and your mind going into this surgery and traveling all the way through chemo and then all forecasting out to what your next surgery is going to look like in October. And you've walked the path so far in such a beautiful way. And you've given yourself a chance to take pause, get educated, look at your options, and then make informed Mm. decisions. And and that's empowering. So
1: and I would say um, last bit of advice, like, go pick up that book, breasts, the owner's manual and like read about breast health, and understand risk factors, and understand like, things that are preventative, but also like understanding your own history and what that means. Like there's so much that we just don't know about these body parts. And my mom talks about that as like a part of menopause, too. Like, no one tells you what to expect with that either. And you just really have to advocate for yourself, like, educate yourself as best as you can, because like, no one talks about women's health, really. They, I mean, it's just like such an unknown, really.
0: Well, only when there becomes a problem.
1: Well, <laughs> thank you. Like, that system, like that reactionary system of like, yeah, okay, now you're sick. Let's. Let's figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. Let's not do that.
0: Wow. Thank you. I'm going to make sure to put that book in the show notes. Yes. So people can have access to that too. And it will be tagged also um, when we post this up on Instagram. Stephanie, thank you so much for just peeling back the curtain, sharing your own personal journey. I am going to be sending you the biggest energy pink, blanket wrapped cozy tomorrow for you during your surgery knowing that it's, you're literally going to be in the best most capable hand
1: thank you and let's fingers crossed for negative nodes and pathological complete response <laughs> after surgery That's right. and you know good vibes for that so
0: okay well thank you so much again for being on the podcast and we'll talk to you soon thank you so much okay Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.